Hello and welcome folks, it's time for Sigma Sports Presents Matt Stevens Unplugged with none other than Ashley Mormon Passio. What can I tell you about Ashley? Well, she's one of the most successful pros to come out of South Africa with honestly quite a huge palmares to her name. She's also super passionate about the push for equality for women's cycling and what a fantastic pioneer she really is. In 2020, she became the UCI Cycling Esports World Champion, and we chat all about that and the difference between racing on the road and in the virtual world. So, this is probably the perfect podcast to listen to while riding on your indoor trainer. Wanna pop an extra bead on in your bottle cage, crank up the difficulty, try not to relax, but do try to enjoy the pod. You know it's that time again. Ashley Mormon Passio is a naturally powerful climber and time trialist, riding with the SD Works team for the coming 2022 season. She's a multiple national road race and time trial champion of South Africa, as well as winning the African Continental Road Championships plenty of times too. To add to that, she won the Queen stage of the 2021 Giro, finishing runner-up in the GC2. When the pandemic hit in 2020, Ashley jumped onto Zwift to keep her training up only to find herself completely immersed in the platform. Then, transferring all of her irrefutable road skills, she became the 2020 UCI Cycling Esports World Champion. I should probably mention that we recorded our chat in mid-December last, when Desmond Tutu was still with us. May he now rest in peace. If you'd like to find out why that's relevant, well, just keep listening. Ashley, um, finally, we're here. We've we've had um, a couple of missed... um, Missed appointments for various reasons, but finally, you're on Matt Stevens Unplugged, and thanks very much for joining us. It's lovely to have you on. It's great to be here, Matt. I'm happy it's finally worked out. Indeed, indeed. Um, for our for our, our listeners, would you kindly just tell us exactly where in the world you are and what room, what you can see within the room that you are now sitting as well, just to set the scene. Well, I'm currently at home, um, which is Rockacorba Cycling. So um, I run a cycling tourism business um, just about 25 minutes outside of Girona in a town called Banyoles. And I'm sitting in our cycling workshop area. So um, it's an old um, Catalan Masia and um, at the sort of bottom of the building, the lower ground floor, uh, where they used to actually, it used to be stables for animals, um, we've converted it into a cycling workshop and a coffee space for cyclists to come hang out, uh, have a coffee, get their bikes and then um, hit the road. Yeah, uh, it's uh, it does sound idyllic. I mean, I, I must confess, I mean, we know, I have actually been and stayed for a week at your place and it's it's lovely. I mean, yeah, if you if you ever in the because you you're not too far from Girona, are you? That's exactly in Spain where you are. Not too just up the road in, from from, um, from the city, um, but it's an absolutely beautiful place. Um, dating back to when? Dating back to 1670. Wow, that's pretty yeah. old, isn't it? That, that's yeah. pretty old, and it, it is a lovely place. If you are ever in the area or you fancy staying, I mean, not that this is just an advert for your for your business, but. <laughs> Uh, it is kind of very cool. It's um, it's really ideally placed. You're literally straight out onto the roads, aren't you? It's, it's amazing. 
Yeah, so that's the benefit of being a little bit outside of Girona um, is that we literally can hit the roads and you don't have to go through any um, town to, to start a ride uh, from where we're based. And we're literally at the bottom um, of the Rocacorba climb, which is also uh, quite a well-known climb in the area. It's a um, climb where all the pros are sort of known to test their form before uh, big races. So, yeah, it's a great spot. It is, and it's um, it's a grim climb. It's, it's a great climb, but it certainly is one of its it's, uh, Yeah, I think that one of my... I've only ridden up it twice, and one of them was was with you, and it was grim. <laughs> I do remember a couple of years ago riding up there, but that, that's for another time. Uh, but um, actually, what what have you been up to recently? I mean, I know just before we came on, um, as well as discussing my drink that I had alongside me, this is a, a tea off the back of a coffee. What about generally for you? I mean, what have you been doing recently? Well, um, yeah, I've just actually come back from training camp uh, with the team. So I went down sort of Kelpe area a little bit further south um, to join the team. First uh, get together before um, the new season. We received our new bikes, um, got a sneak peek of our new kit, took some photos, um, spent some time together. The um, objective of the camp was more, you know, receiving equipment, taking photos, um, some media stuff, and a bit of team building. Um, so, yeah, now it's back home and time to really get the, the focus going and, um, yeah, getting some proper training in um, and good routine. So the purpose of that particular camp, a lot of the pre-Christmas camps don't involve too much riding. It's generally um, an opportunity to look at new kit, do a bit of fine-tuning and to meet your new teammates, I guess. Or, or did you manage to get a few rides in in Calpe? Because it's beautiful there. So we did get some rides in. Um, in. Initially, actually, we were supposed to head um, to Switzerland uh, for three days of skiing as a team building um, exercise. But unfortunately, that had to be cancelled last minute um, because of quarantine requirements um, entering Switzerland, which has now changed, apparently. Things are always changing. Um, but unfortunately, oh, no, yeah. yeah, unfortunately, we couldn't do the skiing. So we um, headed just, you know, immediately down to the Kelpe area. And the team came up with some kind of activity. So um, we did some go-kart driving and um, we did like a scavenger hunt by bike. Um, which was <laughs> All right. Okay. So yeah. what, what, what did that involve? I'm intrigued. What, what happened there then? Well, yeah. So Danny and Anna, because um, Anna van der Brecken is now one of the directors, um, you know, they busied themselves up trying to set a challenge for us um, by bike. And so it was a case of... Um, you know, creating um, destinations that we had to reach uh, by means of clues. Um, and then, right. you know, once reaching that destination, um, you'd receive the next clue for the next destination. So it was a, a challenge. But at the same time, um, so we were in teams and uh, one of our um, team members uh, weren't allowed or couldn't have a chain. So it meant <laughs> yeah. brilliant. I love it. I love it. So we had to um, push and pull and all sorts of things. And uh, Nee Fisher Black, our young uh, New Zealander, was was the team member without a, a chain, and we strategically chose her, of course, because she's so tiny. Um, and I was lucky enough uh, to have Marlon Rusa on on my team and Lars Boom because he's also working on the team as a as a okay. director. So we yeah. were quite quite a power team. You know, we had mm. the biggest, strongest drivers plus the smallest um so yeah it was it was a fun um exercise and yeah we had a lot of fun and, and how and it, w w that that does sound quite i mean I, i'm intrigued as well to who ended up being the group leader then because in those sorts of things you quite often get somebody who's a bit more passive somebody who who takes the reins quite quickly where do you fit in or did, did you quite enjoy that challenge 
yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was a great way of, you know, um, improvising since we didn't have this opportunity to go skiing and to do something yeah. that kind of, because in, in the sort of Kelpe area, there isn't necessarily a lot to do other than to ride your bike, really. Yes. So yeah. it was a great way of kind of, um, you know, riding our bikes, but in, in a totally different way. And, uh, and um, you know, during the course of the day, we had a restaurant stop, which was, you know, part of the challenge, finding that restaurant. And it was a really great restaurant. So, you Very know, it was nice. a nice lunch. Um, it wasn't just all about riding and finding clues. So it was great. And, um, yeah, it was an opportunity to yeah, really sort of learn a lot about each other in terms of, you know, how you go about a challenge uh, like this, you know, figuring out clues. And we had to, there were also like bonus points along the way. Like if you spotted a, um, a, a pink paper, which had like a key ring stuck to it, you know, and you could collect key rings along the way. And um, yeah, so in the end, actually, Marlon Russo was our team captain or leader. Okay, um, so She's a new member of the team. Um, and actually, uh, we've realized very outgoing, um, sort of loud, fun character. So uh, we nominated her to be the team leader. I'd say I'm probably, you know, at the moment, I am the oldest rider on the team. So I'm the sort of the wise one, you know, uh, <laughs> everyone comes to me, um, for advice or, uh, yeah, if they're confused or need some clarity or direction, then I'm sort of like the wise, um, the wise person to come and talk to. Good, good start. Uh, just a little tip. I mean, the last time I was in Calpe was with, um, it was with the uh, quick step team about five years ago. Um, and I was just doing some press with them and then, on one particular afternoon, on that seafront, there's loads of lovely cafes and overlooking that big rock. And a lot of the hotels are relatively close together, all the teams stay. And um, I had my feet nibbled by some of those those, those little fish in a tank. And I, I, I got myself coffee, sat with my feet in this tank and and – yeah, for a quarter of an hour, while the, these little fish nibbled my feet. Um, yeah. That was the, that was the last time I was in, and it was it was a bit strange at first, but my feet felt so silky smooth afterwards. I tell you, it was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite an interesting experience. <laughs> yeah, I don't know whether you'd be necessarily allowed to do that as a professional cyclist, or what the kind of health and safety implications would be. But maybe in the future, when you're retired and you're DSing or whatever you're doing, check it out, give it a go. It's it's sensational. It really, really is. <laughs> Sounds very interesting. So, is it a coffee shop with this fish tank inside? Yeah, well, no. There was a there was a coffee shop next door. It's basically a place you go just to get your feet nibbled. Okay. Um, and these, I can't remember the name of the fish. You can probably look it up. But I got a coffee, and then the bloke said, "Yeah, you can drink it there." So I just sat there with it with a mate, and you get a li- you sit on this block with a cushion, so it's nice and comfy. Dangle your feet in. I rolled my trousers up and I watched these feet nibbling my my yeah. Watched these fish nibble my feet for about fifteen minutes. It was lovely. Anyway, we digress. We digress. Actually, you must be looking forward to to twenty twenty two. Next year, you got uh, some different riders in the team, and and uh, without dwelling too much on on other riders, it's it's going to be significantly different, isn't it? With Anna van der Breggen, as you just uh, mentioned, moving into a DS role. Do you think that's going to open up? a lot more opportunities for yourself. I mean, you've had a remarkably successful season, consistent as ever. Um, But next year looks super, super exciting for the team and for you individually. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, so next year is is my last season um, on the road. Um, so I'm I'm really looking forward to you know just giving it my all, having fun, and um, yeah, seeing what I can achieve along the way. Um, of course, it's amazing to be part of a team like um, the SD Works team. We are a super strong team. We have such amazing partners. Um, you know, Specialized is really just a dream bike. So um, yeah. I'm just so happy to be um, ending off my um, career on the road in such an amazing setup and um, yeah this year of course Anna um, moving or changing roles um, it's going to be really interesting of course it does open things up you know Anna is um, a very generous teammate you know she she is just so um, so incredibly strong and um, just there's just something about Anna where you know she just has this way of this super calm way of just, you know, executing. And um, yeah. so although, you know, there's been uh, many times where where she would have liked to have potentially, you know, set me up or, or give me the, the win, it just turns out that it just didn't happen that way. So, um, yeah, I must say it will be quite nice to to be on the team as as one of, you know, obviously one of the leaders and maybe to, to have a little bit more opportunity to, to go for results um, with Anna no longer riding. Um, but then... You know, having her as a DS in the car, I think, is just going to be incredible because you know she's fresh off her off her road career, um, so she knows all the riders really well. Um, she's still in touch with with the strength of the peloton, and you know, I think uh, we're going to have a great season with her as a director uh, and giving, you know, her. Um, sharing her amazing powers of tactics and racing um, from the car. Yeah, I mean, that is, although you've got to have the engine under the hood, um, you can be a, the strongest rider in, in the peloton. But if you don't think correctly, especially given the sport now, the depth and the increasing depth and talent in the women's peloton, you have to be able to ride uh, a tactically strong race too. You cannot afford to waste energy. And mm. and to have that, that knowledge in the back of the car um, is going to be very, very interesting, isn't it? But uh, the thing that I'm... I didn't realise actually. I didn't realise this was going to be your your final season. But we we can't not talk about the potential opportunity that lies ahead in the in the women's um, Tour de France, either the the the, the Tour Feminine. Um, now, when you look at your performances this year in, in the uh, the Giro d'Italia, where you were second overall and won a stage, um, when you look at the route for the Tour this year, you must be licking your lips. <laughs> I mean, it it does look. Absolutely. It's a wonderful course. It's an important race. But in terms of your own um, desire, your, your own drive, your own objectives, you must be looking at that race and thinking, I've got a real opportunity of winning this. Yeah, so it's it's certainly a really big goal um, for me this year. I'm really happy that, you know, I have the opportunity to race a, a proper Tour de France um, before I retire. You know, so having seen, um, you know, that that was really going to happen. I mean, it, it, the talk of it happening started already, I'd say, in January this year. Um, but it took quite a long time for uh, for the women's peloton to really believe it, you know. Yeah, <laughs> it, it of course, yeah. It, uh, too good to be true. So to yeah. finally go to the route launch um, just a couple of weeks or months ago um, was really amazing. That was an incredible experience being there um you know, being part of the show, really feeling for the first time um, that that women are part of the show, because there's no doubt that the Tour de France is the biggest race 
in the world. Um, you know, it is the the one cycling event that that gets the attention of the whole world. And so, to finally have a taste of what it feels like uh, to be part of of that show was really incredible. And yeah, I'm just. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I mean, it would be a wonderful way um, to end off my road career because yeah. I'll just make, make a point. It's, it's my road career that's coming to an end. I don't think okay. that I'm disappearing completely from. from good, good. That's, that's good to know. And especially, you know, the esports scene. So, um, but um, it would be an incredible way um, to, to end off my road career and especially, you know, just the whole, the whole story of how it's come about and, you know, um, the racing and the virtual world on Zwift um, and how important I feel that has been in terms of creating this turning point that we actually have a real life Tour de France. You know, I believe that the COVID pandemic and and all the racing that happened on um, Zwift and Zwift's um, role, you know, that um, that they played as as a brand in the COVID pandemic, uh, you know, to push equality and to make a point of of doing everything equal, and then you know, getting behind. Um, the real life um, action and, you know, sponsoring uh, the Women's Tour de France. So um, I'm really, really excited for that. And um, that's a really, really big goal. I think that's a really, really important point. Um, I mean, the, the tour, the, the name of the tour, isn't it? The Tour de France Femme avec Zwift. They are clearly a title sponsor. But I think what it shows, because there is, I think it's a decreasing amount of negativity. A lot of people, why are you riding on Zwift? Why don't you just ride outdoors? It's like, well, no, that's not it. It's not to replace cycling. It's an extra entry point for people, and it augments our sport. It, it's uh, it's just another dimension, a quite an exciting dimension, with its own um, different set of attributes. and And I think the fact that Zwift um, helped everybody out uh, during the pandemic it was it wasn't their intention. It was just a platform that had been there already for four or five years, and 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 it really did help the sport across the board. And then, of course, we had the, the the virtual tour, and now a real tour. I think that that shows it's not just about riding indoors, is it? It's um, there's there's a real openness to Zwift, and um, the fact they've got behind it, I think, is is is, is massively important. It, it it really really is. Yeah, well, I mean, I just uh, have recognised um, the power of the virtual world in in growing female participation. So, you know, there's there's you know, before the COVID pandemic hit, um, I, I wasn't um, a big fan of indoor training. Um, and that's no secret. But with, yeah. the, with the COVID pandemic, um, you know, hitting and I was really in Spain where it was a really hard lockdown, I really had no, um, no option. And, you know, I'm the type of person that, you know, tries to always make the most of, of, of my circumstances. Um, so, you know, I, I embraced it and I, I tried, um, you know, to get my head around indoor training. And it is really incredible how a platform like Swift has transformed the indoor training experience. So, you know, from my side, from being someone who, who completely, you know, avoided it at all costs, I'm now really hooked. And, and one of the, the big reasons why I'm hooked is obviously I really enjoy racing on in the virtual world. For me, um, it's it's an adrenaline pump. Um, you know, it's just as exciting as racing out in the real world. But then also it's the whole social element and the ability to to help grow women cycling that has really caught my attention, you know, and it started off with, um, with Zwift doing the tour for all and prioritizing yeah. equality, you know, cause that is one thing that I really respect about, um, the brand and the, and um, the companies that they've always prioritized equality. So everything they do, um, they do equal. So, it started off with the tour for all and then um, went on to the tour de France. And that was, uh, for me, it was, a, it was an incredible sort of um, 
moment, you know, the virtual Tour de France, because I think a lot of people kind of don't necessarily grasp how important that was, you know, in the yeah. midst of the COVID pandemic, the most challenging time um, for for the world, you know, for the first time, women had real equality when it came to the Tour de France. And yeah. sure, it was virtual, it wasn't in the real world, but that power and the ASO actually recognizing, you know, the popularity of women cycling and that the viewer numbers were great and the response was great, you know, I think that 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 momentum obviously led to to a real life Tour de France, and so just um, in in the way that it's it's helped um, evolve women cycling in terms of the Tour de France, I believe it has that same power. Just in general, you know, during um, the COVID pandemic, I also hosted a women's only ride um, every Monday, and I just started to realize that. Um, the interaction amongst women um, on a platform like Swift in the virtual world is just so different um, to how it is in the real world. Um, so, you know, usually in the real world, if you're trying to, um, you know, host a woman's only ride, um, often, especially as a pro, um, the, the interaction isn't necessarily um, so sort of deep, you know, the women yeah. are often quite intimidated, you know, so your uptake is usually more from men um, who want to come and join and you just don't seem to penetrate, um, you know, the woman that you, you're trying to empower. And suddenly yeah. in the virtual world, you know, one lady really summed it up um, for me on the ride saying, my avatar has no shame. And that's when the penny really dropped for me is that yeah. um, the virtual world really represents a platform or an opportunity for women to feel less intimidated, to feel more confident, and then to actually have the guts to go out and try new things. And I think the reason is, is that, you know, if you're in the comfort of your own home, um, you know, you're behind a, a computer screen, so no one's actually really seeing you in real life. They're only seeing your avatar. So if something goes wrong or you get dropped or for whatever reason, you know, um, the race doesn't go well or the group ride doesn't go well, no one's actually going to see you and judge you, you know? Yeah. So I, I kind of feel like that's the power of it. And then what that does is it allows people to experiment and then to grow in confidence and for it to then potentially transcend into, into the real life. So yeah. maybe they start taking part in events in the real world, or maybe they don't, they just stay on the virtual platform, but we're getting more women on bikes. We're getting more women interested in cycling and, um, you know, we, we're just ticking so many boxes in, in that regard. We're building a fan base. Um, yeah, so the power of the virtual world for growing women cycling it is, for me, just um, so important and um, endless. Um, I mean, you've spoken so eloquently and expansively about it. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of, um, it, I mean, it's, it is amazing. And, uh, and I, I think... I think the important point, it's its a real frictionless access point, isn't it? And, and as you quite rightly said, it could be that, that some women jump on Zwift and, and that's all they do. But uh, but the important thing is that it's its a its a, a hassle-free access point to build somebody's confidence on the bike first, get that fitness up, you know, a sense of community. And then and quite often you're seeing um, women then moving into the real world as well, which is ultimately what you'd like to do so they can play off each other. And that leads us really nicely into into the Rocker Corba Collective, the esports team, because I know your esports team um, have moved up into from the community league in the Zwift, in the Zwift Racing League. You're going to be in the Premier League. I'm going to be commentating on your team um, in the next in January. So you must be so excited about how your Rocker Corba Collective esports team are now going to be battling it out um, in the top division of esports. Yeah, it's really exciting. So, um, yeah, we set up the challenge to 
to qualify for the Premier League. And so um, off the back of the of my road season, um, I've been racing um, quite extensively on Zwift, which has also been a great opportunity to really race in in um, my world champion jersey, you know. Uh, yes, yeah, with, yeah. The current esports world champion. So it's been really great. And then just having the ability, you know, so, um, you know, as a, a, a more sort of an older um, rider, you know, sort of looking at, at you know, bringing my road career to to an end. Um, this Rock Corver Collective and the esports space really presents a great opportunity for me to start executing on all of these ambitions that I've had over the years. So I've spoken so much about, you know, women's cycling and my passion to to push it forward or to, to help it grow. And now I, I actually have um, – the, the opportunity to really put my words into action. Um, yeah. And so that's yeah. what the Rock Corba really, uh, Rock Corba Collective represents for me. And it was really great, um, you know, racing the community league um, with, you know, uh, quite a variety of riders who are on the team, you know, so from young South Africans who are hungry to, to take that next step and to become pros. And so um, the esports space is, is um, providing sort of a stepping stone or sort of a development platform to them to other riders that are older and got into cycling much later and are working full time and, you know, never imagined to be able to, to race their bike competitively, but now have found um, this new opportunity to race, you know, so it's quite a mixture of people, which is, is really great. Um, And then, yeah, just seeing the growth of, of these uh, women as they race in the virtual world and then, you know, qualifying uh, for the Premier League. And um, now we've just finished up a, a competition on Zwift uh, for some additional members uh, to the Premier League team. So we'll be announcing um, these additional members uh, very soon. But it's not only about um, racing the Premier League um, in terms of, you know, what we're trying to offer with the Rock Corbett Collective. So, mm. you know, we, we are trying to build community as well, um, you know, to um, be accessible to um, to the women that are still, you know, still kind of new, still trying to figure things out, maybe need a bit of encouragement or support along the way, some training advice, um, you know. So we will be having weekly rides uh, from social rides to workout rides um, to the um, opportunity for people to join our community teams as well. Um, and then the idea is that our, our Premier League team members will help DS the community leagues. Um, so okay. I've definitely seen the power in actually having a DS in the virtual world. So, you know, using Discord as a platform um, to to talk and to um, share tactics, you know, it really does help. And it, it definitely helps in the development of the riders as well for them to, yeah. to learn, you know, how to how to race. So, um, yeah, we, we would really like to offer, um, you know, th- that support to to everyday women out there who have don't really know you know do they want to do it seriously are they just doing it for fun um do they want to try out racing do they just want to have a group to join every week um for a social ride a workout ride um yeah so we're trying to offer you know the full full range and um grow female participation and get more women um confident to yeah to take on life and um and to be the best version of themselves it's it's absolutely wonderful i mean it's again you speak so expansively and clearly just by the the tone in your voice the 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 life that's in your voice you you really are passionate about this aren't you and and i'll say it again the word passionate is often overused but quite clearly here ashley this is something that's um important to you and clearly you have 
it, what, what seems to me you have a real sense of responsibility because you've gained this position. You've worked really hard. You've been a professional rider for the best part of 13 years. I mean, racing before, before you went into the equivalent of the World Tour back in 2010. Um, you've, you've seen this change. And, and could you have imagined back in 2010 that you'd be in this position now where you can, you know, personally, based on your results, your drive, what you've earned in the sport and also running in tandem, the way the sport has changed, um, could you have imagined back in 2010 that you'd be in this in this position, you know, um, and that the sport has changed so much, and that you're you're offering and, and trying to help, um, you know, really affect in a positive ways, you know, in a, in a positive way, women's lives. Yeah, well, actually, as you were saying that, it kind of gave me goosebumps in a way. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, really thinking back, and no, I, I never imagined it um, in in 2010. You know, I only discovered um, cycling while I was studying at, at university. So I got into pro cycling actually quite late um, in life. Mm. Um, and, you know, I thought, you know, leaving school, I was, I've always had a passion for sport. I've always, I really enjoyed sport and always had, you know, the dream to, to be a, a professional athlete, but I never really found um, the sport that suited me um, at school. And so, you know, cycling came to me um, later in life and, um, yeah, I mean, it is quite incredible to think, you know, I thought I'd be sitting in an office just, you know, working an ordinary job as an engineer. Um, and then, you know, all of a sudden things changed and things changed pretty fast. Um, but I suppose the reason why I have um, this passion um, to, to really touch other women's lives or to really grow women's cycling is because I kind of, I'm so grateful for, for the opportunity that I was given, you know, and I just yeah. realize um, how how important this this journey has been um, in you know in my evolution as as a person. So you know I've grown yeah. so so hugely as a woman um, through this cycling journey, and I've just realised you know how um, you know how I've become a much stronger woman through the process. So not only physically, but also you know by character and emotionally. Um, and so I've just realised how cycling has the power. Um, to to empower women, and you know this, you know we're talking. All these words are are quite overused these days, but it, it really, really does. You know, well, they're I, true though. I mean, they're true. I mean, it's and and also, I mean, when you let's look at the development of of the men's sport in the last twenty, in the last twelve years, running parallel. You know, that the sport has grown in different ways, but essentially, it's just been the same. And this isn't to take anything away from from the, the development of a, of a male individual. But what you've had to do through the last 12 years is also fight because, you know, the sport has been there. It's grown slowly, but the, but the growth has been slow. It's accelerated dramatically in the last couple of years, as we have seen. But those from 2010 to maybe 2016, 2017, we, we know what women's wages were like. We, we knew that none of the races were on television. We knew that some of the teams were being run poorly. Um, you know, women were oppressed within teams. They couldn't speak out about the, the treatment. So things have really, really changed. But you've had to, one of, you know, every woman who's spent this long in the pro peloton has had to really fight for it. And then when you get out the other side and you see the change that has been, that's happened, um, it must give you not so much a sense of pride, but almost like a sense of relief as well. And now because of that, it's like, okay, I can now, I'm in a position now where I can help out myself and, and, and continue and add to the momentum uh, that the sport has got. Yeah, and certainly. I mean, when I first started in, in 2010, coming over to Europe um, to try and 
and pursue a professional career. I mean, I had to be super creative around yeah, yeah. How, how to actually make it, it happen, you know, leaving, yeah. especially as a writer coming from the Southern Hemisphere, you know, you, you literally, you have to leave your, your country, your continent. You don't have the support of, of your family. You know, obviously they're, they're there to support you in terms of emotionally and help you out where they can, but, you know, you have to leave home. You have to come to a new, a new country, new continent, new languages, um, and, and try and make it work, you know, which is quite different to a lot of, of European writers. You know, I, I often get into these conversations with, you know, for example, Dutch teammates, you know, who th- th- sometimes it's mind blowing for them to actually try and comprehend, you know, how, how difficult it is, you know, coming from the Southern hemisphere to make a career, you know, when they first yeah. start, they can live with their parents, you know, it can be a kind of a hobby and, you know, see where it goes. But I had to make a life decision, you know, yeah. I'm packing yeah. my bags, I'm leaving home and I'm going to a foreign country and I'm going to try and make it work. And, you know, I wasn't paid um, a salary when I first arrived in Europe. So I had to be creative around how I was going to make ends meet, you know, and I'm- What did you do? Actually, you talk about being creative. What did you do, Ashley? How, how did you, how did you make it? Well, I was actually lucky enough um, to have a um, amateur team in South Africa um, that really believed in in my uh, potential and talent. So it started off by you know I was riding actually for a South African team, um, and okay. they gave me the license to um, to ride in Europe in the European season because you know South Africa the season you know it's general it's a summer sport cycling so. Yep. Um, our season was, you know, it was luckily different different hemispheres, but it did mean that I was literally, you know, I didn't have an off season because I was racing all sure. around to try and make ends meet. So I'm um, in the beginning, you know, obviously a little bit of a salary from a South African team, but then also looking um, at getting personal um, endorsements from South Africa, which again was a challenge because, um, you know, I, I was getting endorsements from South African based companies, but um, there's no TV coverage <laughs> of the racing. And most of the racing I was doing um, was in Europe, you know, so I had to be uh, really creative around um, how, how to make things work. And then luckily, you know, I did show my potential pretty early. So, uh, but to be totally honest, I, I only really received a proper salary from a European team in 2014. Um, right. So it took three years before I was actually paid uh, by a European team. Um, wow. And yeah, and now it's just wonderful to see how, you know, on a, on a team like mine, SD Works, how I have, you know, young teammates in, in Nia Fisher-Black, um, Anna Shackley, Blanca Vas, you know, these riders, they're you know, they're younger than what I was when I first came over and, you know, they're already on a minimum salary. So it's, it's really great to, to see that evolution and to see how, you know, uh, women cycling is actually becoming a career option um, for women. You know, it's something that, that girls can strive to, to become and can actually focus on from school, directly from school. They don't have to, to study or do other things. Um, and I think that's where the Tour de France is going to be even more important in this evolution because all of a sudden, you know, uh, young girls can sit and watch the TV and see women racing their bikes and, and aspire to become a professional athlete. So yeah, um, it really has been incredible uh, to see how it's evolved. And, you know, in a way, like I feel, I feel, you know, I'm, I'm quite, um, 
not honored, but I, I don't quite know how to to explain. But it's been it's been an amazing experience actually being part of that evolution. And of course, I can yeah. sort of look back and think, oh, you know, imagine I could have earned um, you know minimum salary from the word go. Obviously, then my career would have been a little bit more more fruitful. But you know, yeah. either way, like um, I'm just so happy to see the evolution and to and to see, you know, youngsters um, having these opportunities and, and, you know, that they don't have to fight as hard as we are to fight. And, um, yeah, so it's, it's been, it's been quite incredible being part of, of paving, you know, the way. And, um, yeah, and I, I will continue to be involved, um, as I said, you know, into the future because it really is a passion of mine um, to, to be, you know, to continue to be somewhat of a pioneer um, in women's cycling. I mean, when you talk about, you know, pioneer, the fact that you've, we talked about your world champions um, win, that, uh, you know, a race that I had the privilege of commentating and uh, and seeing you win, and it, it was it was astonishing. But that that um, that that rainbow jersey and 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 what it signifies. Although we've unfortunately had a year out, we've got another one coming, another world championships coming up soon. The um, the esports world championships at the end of uh, the end of February. Are we going to see you there defending your title? Of course. <laughs> I was hoping that was going to be a yes, Ashley. I'm very glad. Otherwise, that would have gone down like a lead balloon, wouldn't it? But uh, I mean, for you as well to have been, I mean, many, you can look back at your career and, and think, well, that, that would have changed this and that. But ultimately, you've got to where you are now because of of, of, of the things that have, have led you there, because of the, the fight, because of how you've had to fight, how you've had to adapt, how you've had to change. And when you've, when you encounter problems and ob- obstacles in life, and, and this is when we go back to it's not just about cycling, it's about life. They do, and it's, it's, it's very, it is very easy to say, but they do ultimately make you who you are. They make you stronger. They make you um, more versatile, uh, resilient, all key attributes of, of, of becoming hopefully a good person uh, as well. But to be at the cutting edge of the technological side and to be the first ever esports world champion in our sport, I mean, that was, as well as the win itself, it must have felt pretty good, um, and you've obviously taken that and run with it. And it's uh, it, it must have been wonderful to, to take that title. Yeah, it certainly was. And you know, for me, obviously, I know that there are there are quite a few people out there who who don't really get it just yet. Um, yeah. Esports as a sport or as a, as a cycling discipline, and um, you know what, I don't really really mind too much. You know, for me, it's it, it's you know it's it's kind of hard to explain, but you know, women's cycling and the fact that it, you know, it is, um, you know, an underdeveloped sport, a sport that that is still sort of, you know, establishing itself in, in terms yeah. of depth, you know. The reality is I came into sport much later. You know, I was 23 when I first came over to Europe um, to pro- to pursue a professional career. And I'd only really been, um, you know, riding sort of competitively maybe for two years in South Africa, you know, on the local scene before I made the step to Europe. So, you know, I came over as, as a very green or inexperienced cyclist. You know, if I compare myself to the likes of a Mariana Voss or even Anna van der Brechen, who had been racing since they were young, you know, Mariana since she was five years old, you know. So um, I came into it with a lot to learn and a lot of catching up to do. And the reality is that, you know, I don't think that you can ever 100% catch up on, on those years that, that um, some of these other riders have, have um, had the, the privilege of, of, you know, growing through. So um, I think that's why, you know, esports has been um, such a great opportunity for me because not only in terms of, you know, maybe missing those fundamental years, but 
also coming from South Africa where I don't have um, a strong team around me or, sure. or a lot of support. You know, I, I've always known, I've always been told, you know, I, I have incredible power data, incredible power to weight and super talented, you know, and, and so many people have said to me, you have the potential to be a world champion, but to actually be a world champion is a different um, scenario altogether. And we briefly touched on it earlier um, where you mentioned, you know, in, in, on road cycling, it's not necessarily the strongest rider who wins. There's so many other elements to it, you know, in terms of tactics and, and all sorts of other things, you know, that, that happen, um, which can determine the result at the end of the day. And, and what I love about esports is that in a way it is just pure power, you know, um, if yeah. you, if you are a strong rider, you know, the, the likelihood of you winning, okay, it depends what course, of course, you know, climbing courses are, are, are better suited to a strong rider winning. There is tactics involved, of course, but I, I've actually been giving it a quite a bit of thought recently around, you know, um, the difference between the rider or the racer that I am, um, on Zwift and, the, the rider or racer that I am in the real world. and Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, and what I've actually realized is that um, kind of the difference in the virtual world is that all the things that have been somewhat of a weakness in the real world for me actually have become a strength in the virtual world. So if you, um, you know, if, if I just look at myself as a rider, you know, I'm generally the type of rider who who is wasting energy in the real world because, you know, I like to be up in the front. I like to be seeing what's happening all the time. You know, I don't want yeah. to miss out on anything. Um, you know, I have great power numbers. So I often, you know, I, I underestimate, you know, how, how much I'm wasting. Um, but when you're racing in, in the virtual world, there isn't almost that same, um, you know, disadvantage in in sort of wasting as such of course you know if you're yeah. seeing in in the bunch you, you do have a draft um drafting um you know it's simulating drafting so you get a benefit but you know when when you hit a climb and and you in the virtual world and you're putting the power down you never waste power if that makes sense because every yeah. every power um, pedal stroke you put in it's going to it's going to account for something, you know, and once you yes. create a gap, you can, you can ride yourself totally into the ground and the likelihood of, of you being caught or, or someone coming back and taking advantage of you is, is quite slim, you know, so all of a sudden yeah. you just put all that power down and you absolutely waste yourself um, and you know it's going to result in, in, a, in a result if, you, if you're the strongest rider. Right. Whereas on the road, there's just so many other elements that are tactical, you know, that I, off, I actually think that sometimes I maybe hold too much back on the road because I'm worried about, oh, well, if someone comes back at me, then I need to be able to respond, you know. Um, so it's quite interesting. Like um, in, in the virtual world, you just lay it all out there and you cross the finish line and you're totally finished. Um, but all the work you put in, you know, um, counts for something. So I think, you know, that's something that's been quite a realization for me. Um, but, you know, having won the esports world title, it was like, finally, you know, I've managed to accomplish that lifelong dream of being a world champion. And I've, you know, I've used my talent, my potential, my, um, you know, to, to achieve something. And I didn't, I, I wasn't at a deficit because of, 
um, the lack of experience or um, the lack of teammates or support, you know. So it really was special for me. And I really yeah. do feel like I'm a, I'm a world champion. In, yeah, I'm the world champion. And, you know, it, it is special and it does mean something. There, there, I think to, in summary for what you what you were saying there, that's really interesting, that comparison that you made. And I, I love the way, though, that both the different elements of the sport, the roadside and the the online side can actually play off each other and you can learn each one you when you compare and contrast you can actually learn something but but in summary I think the best way to to knit that together is is there's a real purity isn't there about about you, your win in the in the world championships because it was just I mean you were just the strongest it's simple it's numbers it, there's a there's a there's a, a almost like a mathematical nature to it which is you know it's uh I it it has its own identity, the esports side, and um, you are a very worthy and um, world champion without a shadow of a doubt. I cannot wait to see how you adapt uh, to or, or ride in the, on the New York course in just a few weeks' time. I'm looking forward to calling that one. But we're going to change the subject, Ashley, if you don't mind, no. because uh, you're from um, Pretoria. You're, ra- you're born and raised in Pretoria, yeah? Well, I was born in Pretoria, but actually uh, raised, well, interesting story. <laughs> I'm raised between Cape Town and the center of the country, uh, Bloemfontein. My, my parents um, w- separated uh, when I was five. And so I went to school in Bloemfontein, which is the center of the country, but spent most of my holidays in Cape Town um, visiting my dad. Oh, right. Okay. Well, because we, because we saw on the internet that you were born in Pretoria, yeah. I've actually we we do I do a quiz for every guest about their hometown for where they were born. Yes. So um, hopefully you know a little bit about Pretoria because it's time for the Pretoria quiz. <laughs> yo yo, what's up? You all ready? Yeah yeah. Let's do it. Ta, 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 turn off your phone. That's right. Da, 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 get your thinking cap on. Yeah yeah. Now it's time. What time? Ta, 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 time for the Pretoria quiz. <laughs> there you go. That's a proper jingle. He's gone to town as our Nile on that one, isn't he? Brilliant. I do love his new style of jingle. So, Ashley, please don't worry. This isn't an examination as such. It's more of a fun quiz and it's multiple choice based as well. So, uh, you're not going to be put on the spot. So, I've got four questions all about Pretoria. It took me best part of an hour and a half to, pre- to prepare this quiz deep into the night the other night. So, uh, so are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, are you wearing your World Championships bands right now? I'm not, no. <laughs> not, okay. I was just intrigued. That I'd, I'd, I'd really love it if somebody did that while they were quizzing in their World's bands. But hey, maybe that's for the future, right? Yeah, okay. I'll remember that next time. <laughs> okay, brilliant. Right, question number one. Okay, um, this is going to test your knowledge on the coat of arms of Pretoria. Oh, my so, so, what two animals stand either side of the shield in the Pretoria coat of arms, okay? Is it A, an Elland or a, and a Springbok? Is it B, an Elland and a Kudu? Is it C, a Kudu and a Cheetah? Or is it D, an Impala and an Ostrich? So anyone listening in, uh, a Kudu and an Elland, they're a type of antelope, aren't they, basically? I, so, I think... I think it's definitely um, an impala option. So I think an eland and a kudu. That's correct. Yes. That's knowledge right there. I mean, you just did you just punch the air with delight? I did. Yeah, I thought it did. <laughs> I could tell. Brilliant <laughs> stuff. So 
well done. So question number one, correct. You're 100% so far. Next question is this. So um, you're doing well. Keep, keep it going. Pretoria's nickname is the Jacaranda City due to approximately 70,000 trees that grow in the city and decorate it beautifully with their purple blossom, okay? However, these trees are not indigenous to South Africa and were first planted way back in 1888. But my question to you, Ashley, what country did they originate, okay? Mm -hmm. A, Australia, B, Honduras, C, Brazil, or D, Peru? This one's a guess. <laughs> I, so, thought, I thought they were South African. Uh, no, no, they, they were import. They were they were the first planted by a gardener whose name escapes me, um, <laughs> and they were imported uh, in 1888 and planted. And then from then they've grown 70,000 trees in the city now. Oh wow! Um, okay, I'm going to take a wild guess. And I'm going to say C, Brazil. That's correct. <laughs> wow. Two out of two. This is looking, this is exciting. Uh, this is, yeah, well, here we go. So this 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 question uh, is an absolute corker. Okay. Okay. I do, I do, I'm very fond of this question. So 100% record so far. Two more questions to go. Question three. The pop group Desmond and the Tutus are from Pretoria. This is not a word of a lie. They're having been formed in 2005. But what is the name of the lead singer? Okay, so Desmond and the Tutus from Pretoria, what's the name of the lead singer? Is it A, Nick, B, Desmond, C, Craig, or D, Shane? <laughs> well, Desmond and the Tutus um, yeah. makes me think the natural answer would be his name is Desmond. Is that what you're going for? I'm going for it because I have no idea. Okay, it's incorrect, Ashley, oh, unfortunately. No. His name is, it's, the lead singer is called Shane. Shane, okay. <laughs> <clears throat> so there we go. I mean, that was a pretty random question, but it did, um, it did tickle my fancy, that one. Okay, right. Question four, the final question. How many cities is Pretoria twinned with? Okay, twinned. is it A, 10, B, 11, C, 12, or D, 13? Twinned? Twinned with that. No, twin cities. Uh, they're often, um, most cities are twinned with another city in the world. Ah, uh, okay. Um, I'm going to go for 13. Unfortunately, that's incorrect. It's 10. Oh. It's only 10. Oh. So you still got 50%, but you did, I tell you what, there's. I'm going to give you a chance to redeem yourself. I'm going to give you a bonus point if you can actually name I'm just scrolling down the Wikipedia page right now um, if you can give me one of the countries okay not the city one of the countries that uh, it is twinned with hmm um I'm trying to think and you'll get I'll give you an extra two I'm going to give you two points it's quite a tough question but there's ten countries ten cities um if you can give me one of the correct countries, I'm going to give you two points, and then you're going to get four out of four then. Hmm. I've got to think carefully about this. Would it be... Yeah. I'm going to say... Da -da -da -dum. <laughs> Let's go for my lucky answer, Brazil. 
Oh, sadly not. Sadly not. We've got, we've got, we've got Aman in Jordan. We've got Baku in Azerbaijan. We've got Bucharest in Romania. Bulawayo in Zimbabwe. Kamasi in Ghana. Kiev in Ukraine. Port Louis in Mauritius. Taipei in Taiwan. Tehran in Iran. And Washington DC in the United States. Oh, I was going to almost say United States. Come on. <laughs> it was almost too. It was almost too obvious though. But you still. Um, I mean, after a cracking, it was. I'm going to. I'm going to compare your quiz there, or your your result to getting in the early move, getting a six minute lead, and getting caught with getting caught with six five hundred meters to go, because um, you shot out of the you were in that early move. No, it wasn't. You weren't even in an early move. You're on your own in a breakaway. Um, but well, still, that was. That, uh, did you enjoy that quiz? Yeah, I did. It was really fun. <laughs> Good stuff. Um, we're going to uh, going to stick stick. Actually, let's get a round of applause and inserts here now, please. Fifty uh, percent is not bad. There we go. <laughs> right. Sticking with uh, on education, um, you we, you alluded to earlier on. You mentioned you were uh, you studied engineering. It was chemical engineering, wasn't it? You got a degree in Stellenbosch. Um, yes. Has what was your intention when you? Um, when you went to university to get the degree, was it something you're already interested? Uh, you're, you're, you'd always be interested in. Did what kind of industry were you looking to move into until cycling t- took over? Well, interestingly enough, um, yeah, I was I was quite um, academic at school, so um, yeah, I finished sort of top of the class, and so being quite strong academically um, in South Africa, traditionally you, you're almost pushed to go into medicine. Um, because the entrance requirements for for medicine are are really high. Um, So that was kind of, you know, everyone was sort of pushing me, Ashley, you know, top grade student, you need to go into medicine. Um, But I wasn't super convinced about um, medicine as such. You know, the thing with studying a degree like medicine is it's quite, uh, you know, number one, it's all consuming, like it takes so many years. Um, And then it's quite like, I don't want to say one dimensional, but it is kind of, you know, if you've studied medicine, you you need to be a doctor. (laughs) Otherwise, yes, there is that. Yeah, there is that. You kind of wasted all your time, right? Um, So I wasn't super convinced. Um, But anyways, I enrolled actually for medicine at at UCT, so um, the university in Cape Town, and um, engineering and Stellenbosch and engineering was just kind of like almost a, uh, not a wild guess, but it was, you know, looking at kind of my strengths academically, you know, maths, logic, that kind of stuff, you know, it was, um, it was a strength of mine. So I just thought, well, why not, you know, I'll, I'll just take, take a chance at it. And so I was, um, I was actually accepted for both. And then it was literally, you know, coming to, to registering um, that I had to make a decision, you know, which university am I going to? And I decided on Stellenbosch. And I suppose the medicine option also, you know, I, I actually took a gap year after school and I stooged um, at, a, at a school in, um, in the UK, just outside of Oxford. Um, oh, yeah. And I had an experience where one of the, the, it was a boys prep school and one of the boys had an accident sort of sticking his hands through um, a window and he needed to go to the hospital for um, stitches. And I accompanied him. And I thought, you know, I'd, I'd, you know, um, help to to calm his nerves, and I'd stay with him while they were doing the um, the stitching. 
And next yeah. thing, I woke up on, on the hospital bed and he was sitting on the chair next to me. So I completely passed out. <laughs> <laughs> that's brilliant. So oh, that's, God. That's, I think, when it, it really came to me that um, blood doesn't seem to be my thing, you know. So yeah. I okay. think that was sort of affirmation that medicine's not for me. And I'm, so I went and I studied engineering. And I'm really grateful I made that decision because, yeah. you know, having not – pursued um uh, the you know the degree that i that i actually spent all this time studying you know if it had been medicine i would have felt it, it was a bit of a waste whereas with engineering i don't feel that i've i've wasted anything because you know mm. engineering is sort of more a mentality or a mindset you know you've taught a problem solving mindset um and yes. so actually it's been really useful in in cycling and i think it's it's even sort of you know it has formed the person that i am in a way you know kind of problem solving when it comes to women cycling and trying to to strategize you know a way forward so i've really um, you know i've really developed an and a love or an affinity for strategy and i and i think that that is quite closely linked um to to engineering so yeah. Um, yeah, but while I was studying, I suppose, you know, um, I, I was studying, you know, so uh, process engineering, you can go two different ways. So chemical or process engineering, you can go two different ways. You either go okay. mineral, which is all like mining based, um, yeah. or you go chemical, which is is quite open-ended. You know, it can be anything from petroleum industries to food and wine industries. Um, yeah. So... I was particularly good at distillation as a subject, you know, so that's okay. more like petrol, um, petroleum industries. And I did my thesis in um, optimizing um, making uh, fuel, diesel from um, old cooking oil. So um, wow, optimizing okay. the mixing process uh, with like a jet mixer. So that was my thesis. Um, but if I have to be honest, I suppose I kind of think I might have moved more towards the food and wine industry. Um, okay. you know, distillation is also uh, quite important in, in the alcohol or wine industry. So I think I probably would have gone that way. Um, but yeah, who knows? I, I chose cycling and uh, did. a totally different uh, direction altogether. Um, but what, technically, uh, yeah, sorry, you said it, it. No, 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 no. It's, it's fascinating because my next question, I mean, you led, you, you're almost the perfect person to interview because I don't need to say anything. I just set, set you off and off you go. It's, it's wonderful because my next question leading off the back of that was, has any of that learning helped you with riding? Um, and it, it clearly has in a way. And it's, I guess that you're clearly a person with a particular disposition or particular bent towards logic and maths and and maybe well maybe not even maybe that's why you love um you like Zwift so much because there's a this purity that we talked about exactly. to it so there's a structure to it when you look at the numbers generally especially on, on a hilly course on Zwift um or even on a, in a mountaintop finish where you excel it there's a purity to it because if you've got good legs and you can put out the numbers that's what's going to ultimately transpire on the road isn't it or there's a very good chance that's going to transpire and that is rooted in a, in a logical in a, in a logical sense isn't it it is indeed and i suppose you're 100% right that's why i i take so well to to the esports space and zwift and actually interestingly enough you know although so the, all the numbers and the data um, played a really important part in um, in talent ID for me and, and, and in the very fact that I am a pro cyclist today. So mm. um, because I produced really good numbers and then had um, a real interest in these numbers, um, 
you know, I, I really believe it, it played a very big role in who I am as an athlete. So I, what my talent was discovered through doing a power test. Um, yeah. And then, you know, I have always had a lot of interest in, um, in my numbers. So in terms of training, you know, if I'm prescribed an interval set, you know, I've always chased numbers or, you know, tried to even get my best numbers, you know, in training and then gone back and analyzed and, and, you know, and that's what sort of fueled my, my development. But there did come actually a point in, in my career sort of, so it was very good in the early parts in, in, um, growing fast, you know, to be really into the numbers and always chasing numbers. But then there was sort of a period in my career where I actually had to learn to get in touch with instinct and not to be too much in my head and the numbers. Um, because sure. road cycling or cycling in the real world, um, there's a lot of gut, um, you know, and instinct involved, you know, just yes. being in the moment um, rather than overthinking things. So yeah. there, there has been a period in my career where the, that sort of number side of things has been a bit of a, a weakness or a disadvantage. Yeah. And so I've had to try and find like the balance between the two, you know, so the affinity for the numbers, but then also learning to be more in touch with gut and instinct. Um, yeah. That, that, well, that thing, that thing is, that's, it's really important that you touch on that because, I mean, there is a danger. I mean, we, you, you clearly have a certain type of mind. We all, we all think differently. Uh, and, that, and that's what makes you know, the cycling, road cycling as a proposition, so, so exciting. You know, it's so, so varied, isn't it? Because everybody approaches things in a different way. But to to under, understand yourself that well, to know that, okay, I can crunch numbers, I understand the purity of, of the mathematical side as a basis for strategy. Ultimately, there's so many variables. You have to accept that there's going to be a lot of variables to come into play. And, find, and finding that balance is ultimately the holy grail in racing a bike, isn't it? It is indeed, exactly. Um and so, yeah, I mean, I think, I think it will always be, you know, I am who I am as a person. I am very much a thinker. Um, so, you know, I have to accept that to a certain extent, but I do feel that, you know, there is, there is that element where I've managed to sort of challenge myself to also just be in the moment and to act on instinct and not yeah. to think too much, um, which yeah. I have managed to access. And there are certain races where, where I can say I, I really managed um, to, to access that part of me. And let's say the, the victory and the queen stage um, at the Giro was one of those days, to be honest, because actually if you really sat down and thought about it, maybe it didn't make sense to do what I did. You know, I, I went in an early move with um, Elisa Longo-Borghini and even, you know, when the move went, um, Daniel was like, um, okay, girls. So Ashton's in a breakaway with Elisa, you know, because we were. I was targeting a, a stage a victory that day, and he's like, um, "Yeah, maybe not ideal, but Ashley, just you know, take it easy. Don't use too much energy. Save yourself. Yeah. All the time coming, <laughs> you know." And um, but like in a way, you know, I acted on instinct because actually Elisa attacked at that moment. And I just knew, okay, I had to go. So I yeah. acted on instinct, but then still managed to access sort of that kind of calculating. Um, a risk assessment sort of side of me where I'd be like, okay, I, I'm, I'm keeping within myself, you know, I'm not spending too much, you know, being able yeah. to read my energy levels to save enough um, to, to be good on the final climb. So yeah, it's, it's always a bit of a, um, a juggling game, but there are days where I've managed to really, you know, hit it right, you know, where I've balanced yeah. the thinking and the doing or the instinct um, perfectly and it's, and it's uh, paid off. 
Yeah, I mean that. I mean, and all that experience. I mean that that you can also pass on to your younger teammates. You know, um, although you're still going to be racing here, so I mean that that's wonderful. But I think you've you've really really hit the nail on, on the head there. It's that the we never stop learning, um, riding on instinct, riding on feel. Um, um, looking at numbers is important, um, especially post race. Yeah. Um, drilling down with your coach, looking at where you can improve on and looking at points of interest, for example, and then using those numbers occasionally out on the road. We know that some riders use them, some don't. There's no right or wrong. It's there's you, you it's just a one big experiential learning cycle. But this is where your point is such a beautiful one, where you act on instincts, you use that kind of gut feel that you've learned over the best part of two decades uh, you get in a move, and then the mathematical side takes over, and that's what you need. You need that balance of understanding the data, understanding how you feel, but also never removing that part of you that made you ride the bike in the first place. And that's that—that's the romance. The romance of instinct is, is fascinating, isn't it? And that must have been such a beautiful victory for you. Yeah, it it really, really was. Um, because you know, having having uh, taken part in in the Giro for like numerous years I think it was at least 10 years and and never actually having won a, a stage <laughs> you know having finished on the podium uh, twice on the GC but um, never well the second time was as a result of also this stage win but you know it just felt like wow finally you know um, yeah <laughs> I took that stage victory so it was really really special and to do it solo was also um, really really special Fantastic. Well, oh, there's a funny sound in the background. Can you can you hear that? It's, oh, what's Random going on here? Question alert. Random question alert. Random question alert. It is time for a random question. Righty ho. Well, my random question has just come through. I've got an old Russian computer that Sigma Sports have installed in my house. Uh, goes off every now and again on a podcast Ashley it's a question I've never seen before so this is going to be the final question of this pod are you ready for a random question I'm ready okay here we go okay this is a good one and I know you like food well all cyclists like food but I know you're a big fan of food if you could only eat one treat for the rest of your life what would it be you can have as much as it as you want um, but that is the only treat that you can have only treat yeah. So from this point onwards, um, yeah, one treat. What would it be? <laughs> You're going to have to think about this one, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, I am actually. But hmm, I think it would be a really gooey chocolate brownie. A really gooey chocolate. Would you have made that yourself? <laughs> um, yeah, well... Yeah, why not? Then I could make sure that it's it's really nice and gooey in the center. Because I seem to remember that when when we stayed doing a Zwift thing at, at Rockacorba, you there was one particular day or uh, evening that you you guys made a a brownie. It was amazing. I'm sure. Yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I seem to remember that it was like, oh my god, this is really really nice. I think I even wrapped up a bit and put it in my back pocket for one of our epic rides we did. Um, but but there you go. So a a, a chocolate brownie. I'm I think, so, I think to it's a the very very good answer. Brownie. Definitely. It, what actually on that question? What is 
You know, when you're deep into a race, especially in cold weather, let's take Amstel, let's take Liège, Bastogne, Liège, you're deep into the, the race, 20Ks to go. Generally, of course, you're going to score a top 10 because you're ridiculously consistent in the Ardennes. Mm-hmm. But what is the treat that you want to reach for in your back pocket? You know, that final treat, you've got your energy bars, your fruit, your, your gels, but sometimes there's something like real food that you want. Or, or am I, am I what, what, what do you reach for? Well, I would actually say, um, you know, interestingly enough, it would probably be a chocolate brownie, but, but, um, yeah, our Sonia's actually make a really good pistachio rice cake. Oh, that sounds lovely. It's really, really good. Somehow I'm not sure exactly what they do, but, um, it's just really tasty. (laughs) It's like one of those rice cakes that you like. I can't wait to take it out, you know? Um, so yeah, it would be um, Smiley's famous pistachio rice cake. What a lovely way to end this part. I feel like I need to go and rustle some up myself. But Ashley, it's been an absolute pleasure. We, we've overrun, but you know what? Who cares? That was a lovely conversation. Thanks for for being so generous, um, so open and so honest. And um, it's, been, it's been a blast. Um, and hopefully... I'll be, well, we'll see uh, in a couple of months' time. Um, you'll be taking the start line in the virtual world for the Esports World Championship as defending champion. Cannot wait to see how that unfolds. But for now, um, you take care of yourself and thanks very much for joining me. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, it's been great and um, have a great festive season. What a wonderful chat to have with Ashley just before Christmas. Her passion is so infectious, you can tell she really cares about women's cycling and the quest for equality. While there's still a long way to go before equality is achieved, it's pioneers like her that will make sure that happens. Thanks to Perry App Gwyneth for the podcast theme tune, and thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and rate the pod, and why not recommend it to Anna van der Breggen if you see her in a team car barking orders at Ashley or anyone else on the SD Works team. And finally, a massive thanks again to Ashley for joining us on the podcast today. I hope she has a fantastic season ahead and the inaugural Tour de France femme avec Zwift becomes another career highlight for her. Cheers all, stay safe and goodbye.